God, I'm so grateful uh, that, you, um, that you continue to speak through your word. Uh, even, even in these, these sections that at, at first glance at least seem very, very old and very, very strange. And yet, God, you, you speak to us. And so, God, we come before you um, eager to hear what you have for us. Humble us, teach us, encourage us, God, and show us, um, show us what you would have for us. And God, I, I pray that in all these things that we would see uh, Jesus beautifully on display. For it's in him that we put our trust and our hope. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we are in Daniel. We've been studying Daniel the last couple of weeks. We're in Daniel chapter two. If you want to follow along, if you have a Bible, if that helps you, by all means, uh, dive in there, Daniel chapter two. Uh, but really, this morning, I want, I want to tell us a story. And it's a story that begins with a dream. Actually, it's a little bit more of, of a nightmare, actually. It's one of, those, one of those dreams, you've probably had it where, I mean, you wake up feeling almost like sick, right? Like this, this ominous sense of dread that, that maybe something bad just happened or might happen or, or will somehow happen. Like your mind is racing, your heart is thumping. But have you, have you ever had it where, like those are the emotions you're feeling and yet you can't quite remember what it was you dreamed? It almost makes it worse, doesn't it? Because it felt like it was supposed to be a warning of some sort, right? But you can't, even, you can't even remember what it was. You just know that there was death somewhere in it. And the only thing you're really confident of is you're probably not going to sleep again for a while. That's my theory for this dream. Because even for Nebuchadnezzar, this seems extreme, Okay. I mean, actually, even just like insanely ridiculous that he does it. So Nebuchadnezzar, he's the, he's the, the, the ruler of the most powerful empire uh, at the, in the known world at that time, Babylon. Uh, he's, you know, the most powerful individual on the planet. Um, this is around 600 BC. Um, and he has just recently uh, taken over the Israelites. He's about to conquer the rest of the known, of the known world. But even, even for Nebuchadnezzar, this, this feels extreme. So as the story goes, one, one night, early on in his reign, he's only been sort of emperor for a couple of years, uh, he, has, he has this dream, and it is one of those, you know, panicked, cold sweats, bolts upright in bed, screaming kind of, kind of dreams. And I don't, I don't know what it is about us. Maybe it's just like human nature, but like why is it that we just, we love to be able to talk about our dreams, right? We're sort of obsessed with being able to unpack them and, and talk through them. I don't know if it like diffuses them or, or what. Um, we'd love to do that. But I, I don't think he could remember what it was he dreamed. I, I could be wrong on that, but that's, that's just a guess here because what, what he does, I mean, who does this? So, so you got a picture, like I think it's probably still middle of the night or early on after this dream came to him um, and he calls in all of his advisors, his cabinet, right, his, his leaders, like, if the king can't sleep, why should anybody else, right? And that's kind of the idea there. Calls them in. Daniel refers to them as magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers, which just, like, feels pretty weird, right? Yeah, you half expect Gandalf and Dumbledore and Obi-Wan to all be there somehow. Uh, he summoned them all to him. I mean, I, we, we quickly dismiss that, like, what, what a weird thing, and yet that's so typical for ancient culture, uh, those, those are the who's who. Those are the, the powerful people. In fact, don't, don't like picture some pot-smoking hippies. Like, that's kind of what I do when I think of 
you know, those kinds of people. Um, that's not it, right? For, for them in this culture, these are the most ambitious, most brilliant, most educated people in, in the known world. And Nebuchadnezzar calls them in. And I don't, I don't think this is the first time this has happened. Because they come in and, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, guys, I had a, I had a bad dream, you know. Um, and part of me's like, poor baby, right? I mean, it's hard work being an evil dictator. Of course you had a bad dream. I mean, just like everything you've done and will do and have seen, I mean, like bad dreams, like I'm surprised you get any sleep at all, right? But they come in and again, I'm confident this probably isn't the first time. The chief of staff, he comes in, he's there. It's sort of like, um, you know, oh, king, oh, you know, you gotta be tired. They're there, they're there, we're here now, Right? There, there, there. Just tell us what you dreamed, and we'll, we'll tell you what it means. It's, it's going to be okay, right? You know, the kind of caressing. I, I mean, I just picture like this weird sort of creepy scene with all these guys trying to comfort this really, really evil, evil dictator. But Nebuchadnezzar, like, he, like just tell us, tell us what you dreamed. I've got a better idea, he says which has got to be a clue, right, that this is a different scenario than what they've experienced before. They, they've done the tell us what you dream, talk it out, right, we'll tell you what it means kind of thing before. But this, he's like, no, 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 I've got a better idea. Here's, here's how we're going to do it tonight, guys. First, you're going to tell me what I dreamed. And then you're going to tell me what it means. And if you don't, Here's what I'm going to do. First, I'm going to rip off both of your arms. Then I'm going to rip off your legs. Then I'm going to do the same. While, like, while you're still dying, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find your houses and your families and I'm going to do the same to them. But hear me out. I'm a, I'm a reasonable man. If you tell me both, I will reward you. Oh, wow. There you go. I mean, you can believe these guys are awake now, right? I mean, this, this is a different, I mean, think, think about like, this dream messed him up, right? I mean, yes, he's a wicked, brutal individual, but like, man, he really wants to know what this dream means, right? It's insane. These are not empty threats. He is dead serious. And so I picture his advisors beginning to cower just a tiny bit. Um, um, King, that's not how it works. Um, first, tell us what you dreamed, and then we'll, we'll tell you what it means. No. Anybody can do that. Anybody can just make up an interpretation, right? I'm not going to buy it. I, I, I will not listen to your lies. I will not listen to your excuses. You tell me both right now, or you're all dead. Um, king, uh, king, listen to what they say. Like, essentially, like, Nebuchadnezzar, you do realize there's not a person on the planet who can do what you're asking. Like, that's just not, that's not, that's not human, it's not the way it works. It doesn't, we, we cannot possibly, what you're asking us to do, like, only the gods can do, but they don't, they don't live around here, Nebuchadnezzar. You're, you're asking us to tell you something that only God can tell you. We cannot do this thing. Well, true to his word, got to give him that. Nebuchadnezzar orders 
their execution. And not just them in the room, but all of the wise men throughout all of Babylon. Which at this point, if the reader's been paying attention, is probably thinking, wait a second. Somebody else was just recently sort of promoted into this category of wise man, right? Daniel and his three friends. I mean, <laughs> but they're glad they got promoted, right? I mean, think about this. Daniel, I mean... <laughs> If you've missed these last couple of weeks, Daniel essentially, Daniel and his friends, he's a young teenage, like, Jewish boy, right? He's, he's there. Everything has been taken away from him. His homeland, his identity, his culture, all of it has been stripped away, his family. And now he's forced to live in, in Babylon. And it's not because he did something wrong. It's because his people had, had rebelled as a whole against their God. And so Daniel is there in the spot with his friends. And after, after last week, you almost expect, like, a happy ending, like it all ended so nice for Daniel and they get promoted and Babylon's not so bad after all kind of thing, right? Yeah, not, not quite. Now, all of a sudden, death is coming for them. And it seems as if the executioners travel a bit faster than the rumors because they show up with Daniel and his response is, is like, wait, What? Like, now? Like, are you sure you have to do this tonight? And so Daniel, with the, 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 the chief, right, the executioner, the man sent to murder him, he asks him, with prudence and discretion, it says, can I just have a word with the king? It's a gutsy move, but what does he have to lose, right? Can't rip my arms off twice. And so he goes, And he asks the king for a little time. Again, just think about how much Nebuchadnezzar must want answers for this dream. That he's willing to give this junior advisor, right, this brand new Jewish slave, an extra moment of freedom, of life, to be able to figure it out. You have one day, Daniel. Anybody else like panicking just a tiny bit for Daniel, like this, this teenage boy in the situation? I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I like my arms and legs. Um, I, I would probably be like trying to pack up, run, hide, do anything I could possibly get, do to get away from whatever, you know, appendage ripping off contraption that they had back then. But not, not Daniel. Daniel obviously has a little bit more faith than I do. And so he goes back to the dorm, his, his home, the place where he's living. He gathers three of his, his closest friends and together they pray. They seek the mercy of the God of heaven and they plead with him that they and the others might be spared. And Daniel, at this point, right, if you remember from the earlier weeks, like Daniel's, he studied all the same texts as these other wise enchanters and sorcerers. Like he's, he's read all the cultic documents, all the, the pagan rituals. He, he knows all the tricks of the trades, the things to do, the, the things to say. But the difference with Daniel, the only, the only difference, Daniel knows the God of heaven. And somehow that night, I don't know how it happened, I don't know what exactly happened, but that very night, Daniel saw it. He saw it, all of it. 
the good, the bad, the ugly. And I can only imagine as that, that revelation came to him that he began to understand that's why Nebuchadnezzar is so upset. That's, that's why he's so terrified. That's why he lost his head. And so Daniel, right there in that moment, before even going back to the king to get his freedom, his life back, he stops and he praises the God of heaven. He says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. And he knows what is in the darkness. And the light dwells with him. And so now teenage Daniel stands confidently before the most powerful man in the world. And he starts off, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, essentially what I, what I see happen, like, I, I too have seen it. Like, I, I, know, I know what it is you saw, and I, I know what it is, but before we go any further, O oh king, you, you need to know that this thing that you have asked, there is not a person alive anywhere who can do what you've asked. No one can, can accomplish this ridiculous thing that you've set out for us. But there is a God in heaven who can. And he, Nebuchadnezzar, he has shown this to you and he has shown it to me, not because I'm smarter than the others, not because I have, have it all figured out, simply because the God of heaven wants you to know what's coming. Sir, you saw a statue and it was massive and bright and terrifying. It, it's... Its head was, was made of, of gold. Its, its chest and its arms was made of silver. Its, its midsection and thighs was made of bronze. Its legs of iron and its feet of both, both iron and clay. Is that, is that what you saw, Nebuchadnezzar? Can you see it? I, mean, I, I, I see him at this point sort of leaning in, Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, yes. The look of recognition sort of washes into his face. Yes, that's it. That's, that's what I saw. He's got to be getting excited because finally, finally he's going to get some answers. If Daniel can do that, then certainly the second part, right? How hard could it be? Is that what you saw, Nebuchadnezzar? And, and as you stood there, awestruck and terrified before this, this thing like you've never seen before, this, this stone out of nowhere, soars to the sky, and it's a stone like you've never, ever seen before, a stone that couldn't possibly have been cut with human hands. It, it has no sort of earthly bounds to it. It came, and it smashed into the statue, and the statue was turned to dust before your eyes, and the wind carried every trace of the statue away, and it was gone. Is that what you saw, Nebuchadnezzar? And then the stone that you saw, O king. It became a, a mountain, didn't it? And it was a mountain that, that, that grew and grew and grew until it finally covered the entire face of the earth. It was a, it was a mountain for all people everywhere, for, for all places, and it, it consumed everything. Nebuchadnezzar, do you want me to tell you what it means? Yeah, kind of. You, O king, 
For you are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the glory. You rule over every human and every beast and everything everywhere. You, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. But not even you will last. Not, not, not your empire, for, for it will be destroyed, and, and there will be another one after you, and another one after that, and still another one, and another one, and another one. And historically, right, we know that's exactly what happened, right? The Babylonians were replaced by the Medes and the Persians, who were replaced by, by Greece and, and Alexander the Great, and then Romans and, and the endless Caesars, and conquering and reconquering and conquering. Like, pick up any history book. No nation lasts forever. Every empire falls. No king lives And then, during that time, Daniel says, in the midst of all of these kingdoms, all of their power, unprecedented power, all of their their wickedness, they will be turned to dust. All of them tossed away by the breeze. But that's not the end, Nebuchadnezzar. It doesn't stop there, for in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. (coughs) And you saw the stone, O king, the stone that replaces them all, the, the mountain that never ends, the kingdom that turns every other kingdom to dust. Is that what you saw, O king? Do you see it, friends? Do you see it as Daniel saw it? Oh, people of God, people in exile, people without a home, people who have for way too long put our hope in the wrong nation. Do you see it? This prophecy, and maybe ancient, you know, 2,600 years is kind of a long time. And it may be weird, it certainly is. You know, I got to tell you, this week as I studied, it felt fresher than tomorrow's news. And it gave me a perspective that I know my life has been lacking. And some of you, some of you might not like it. For some, it's going to sound a little bit too doomsday or like we should all just give up or whatever. And I certainly don't mean any of that. And yet for me, this bizarre vision is life. Oh, people of God, here is the message of the dream. Only one nation lasts forever. And it's not yours, Nebuchadnezzar. It's not yours, Alexander or Caesar. It's not yours, Hitler or Stalin. It's, it's not in places like, like China or, or ISIS or, or North Korea or Russia. Praise God, it's not Trump. Praise God, it's not Clinton. Only one nation lasts forever, and it's not America. Which almost feels a little dirty to say, doesn't it? I I love my home. I love my country. I thank God for this temporary dwelling. But like a statue in a divine bowling ball, it will be turned to dust. Feels like heresy, doesn't it? Treason. It scares me to say it, for I am tethered here. But friends, you and I are not living in the country we long for. We never have. 
Like, it's, it's not the good old days that you pine for, whatever that even means. Like, if we could just go back to, to whatever, right? It's not, that's not what you're looking for. That's not what you're waiting for or hoping for. And it's not some nebulous future. Like, if we can just elect the right people and make the right laws and, and get things back on track, that it's somewhere over there. It was never meant to be here. Every one of us is longing for a home. But the country we long for It's not here. For only one nation lasts forever. For that stone, that mountain, that kingdom, it's indestructible and infallible. It's eternal and ever victorious. It belongs only to God and yet it's available to all. And just like imagine for a second as the rumors spread throughout Babylon and God's people. Imagine what this meant for Daniel and his friends as he brought this news that Nebuchadnezzar of all people had this vision of what God is going to do and what he's orchestrated with him in human history to all God's people in exile as they heard it. The hope, the confidence, think about what that did for them. And yes, it's, it's 2,600 years later, right? Times have changed. Rulers have come and gone. Empires. And yet, aren't we like Daniel? Waiting to go home waiting for a better kingdom. So how do we wait well? Well, we see three things here. First, if we actually believe that only one nation lasts forever and it's not ours, (coughs) then our lives ought to be characterized by longing, not settling. That we long for our homeland that we live here as homesick foreigners. That we don't blend in. That we're not trying to belong or make it ours, right? That our loyalty, our identity, it's not tied up here, but with the country that we're waiting for. Which means then that every tear you shed, every disappointment you've had, every heartache you've experienced, every bit of brokenness ultimately is a longing for home. And every, every good thing, every pleasure, every joy, every bit of laughter is like a latent memory of what we were always meant for. Now, I love how the author of Hebrews describes it in the New Testament. Uh, looking back on the people of God throughout the centuries, through good times and bad, he writes, these all, like all of them, died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. For they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. Or have we gotten just a little bit too comfortable in Babylon? We've carved out a pretty decent life here. We have a shocking amount of power, freedom, prosperity, ease, comfort, like all those, like it's pretty good. Like can't we just like settle down and call this good enough? Can't we make this our home? Have we settled as if, as if this is as good as it gets? Or are we longing for home, believing that the best is yet to come? Of course, none of this gets us off the hook. Sorry if you're hoping it did. Yes, we're waiting for more, but in the meantime, we seek the good of where we are. You just can't miss that in Daniel with these stories. Like, Daniel doesn't put his head in the sand. 
He, he genuinely seeks the good of the nation that God has placed him, even of his oppressors. I mean, what's, what's so amazing here to me? I mean, this is like, like, it's so simple, and yet we miss it, I think, that the reason Daniel and his buddies keep getting promoted over and over and over again, it's just that they're really, really good at their jobs. Like, it's not, it's not that shocking to provide. They're just really good at what, Daniel is a better advisor than the rest. He serves his wicked king well. And as a result, not only do more of Daniel's own people flourish in Babylon, but so does all of Babylon. And it gives, it gives Daniel an unprecedented voice to those who would otherwise want nothing to do with Daniel's God. I mean, don't miss the fact, like anybody else shocked that it's Nebuchadnezzar that has the dream? Like, Why? Like, it's clearly meant for God's people. Why not just go right to Daniel? Cut out the middleman. Why do you have to, to use this, like, evil, insane individual Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon? Why would you do that, God? It's because he hasn't given up on them. I mean, I'm convinced, right, that, that God's grace extends even, even for them that he's pursuing even, even Nebuchadnezzar. So look, look what happens at the end of chapter 2. I mean, it's just unbelievable. This wicked king falls on his face. The most powerful man in the world falls on his face before this, you know, this Jewish nobody. And he says to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Don't you long for more people in our world to respond the same way? to get a glimpse of, of who our God is and say, yes, that's, he, he's the one, right? Don't, don't you long for that kind of response with your neighbors or with, with our rulers, with, with our family members? But let me ask, like, do you think any of this would have happened if Daniel had, like, gloated to Nebuchadnezzar? Like, if it had been like, hey, you're gonna, you know, you're nothing that's gonna, that like, do you think that would have happened? What if, if Daniel had whined about how, how he was treated or responded with self-righteous anger? I don't think so. Daniel was good at his job, humble and respectful at every turn, and that gave him a voice to speak truth and hope. And you and I may be talking. Christians do a lot of talking. We talk and we talk. I get the irony that I'm up here. I get it. Some of you are thinking it. I'll just go there. But I feel like for, for many of us in many contexts these days, we are like the, like the you know, school teacher and Charlie Brown, right? Wah, 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 wah. Like we're talking, but nobody hears us. We're not listening, right? Because we haven't, we haven't earned a voice, right? If we're, if we're just walking around terrified all the time or, or, or complaining or whining or saying, you know, these, these drastic, huge, terrible statements, I mean, nobody's going to listen. For Daniel, if you want to earn your voice, do your work well. There's an application. Like, just go to work and work harder than the rest of the people around you. Make something of, of value. Provide something of value to people. Serve. Get involved in your kids' schools. Serve in politics like Daniel does. Or in the armed forces. I mean, she's still worth protecting, after all. Get to know your neighbors. Love the hurting, the vulnerable around you. Volunteer, find a place to volunteer or to, to live generously. Just shed a little light. In fact, um, a few months ago, we were uh, in New Mexico on vacation. We went in, in Carlsbad Caverns. And we were, we were down in the cave for, for several 
hours, I think six maybe all together. Um, and, and at one point, we were probably about 1,000 feet under the ground uh, and a, at least two miles from the entrance. And we had, you know, wind, wound around and, you know, did all that. And, and, then, and then the guide uh, turned off all the lights, like all of the lights. And if you've never had that experience, you've, ever, you've never actually experienced real dark. Because it's like dark, dark, like you, nothing. No, I mean, nothing, nada. We're sitting there, I'm holding on to the kids, trying to, uh, trying to not freak out for their sake, right? Because it's just dark, and you begin thinking, what if the lights don't turn back on? We're all going to die out here. You know, it's like this terrible, I'm a little claustrophobic anyway, so it's, caves are awful, but the things you do for your kids. Um, and we, we sat like that for, for at least a minute. You know, time for, for your eyes to adjust, and still nothing, nothing, nothing. And then the guide, she lit the smallest little candle, it was like nothing. I mean, just a little tiny thing. And yet, it was in, in darkness that extreme, it was like the lights at Kauffman Stadium had turned on. And we, we could see everything. Like in this massive cave room, I mean, all the detail, you could see all of it because of this one tiny little light. And the reality is, the darker our world becomes, the scarier it is, the more disillusioned people around us, the brighter our light gets to shine. I mean, people are giving up, disillusioned and afraid, never. Never is there a better time for God's people to speak hope. Our world feels like it's in a panic. And we, as God's church, can step in and say, you know what? Here's where real hope is. A scared world needs a fearless church. But that only works if we've earned it. Are we truly seeking the good of the place in which we are? And here's the last thing. If, if this is true... Um, and what Daniel saw is real. And we, and we have to take the long view of history. You just can't miss that. Like God's view of history, which is a little bit, just to cue you in, it's a little bit longer than our 80 years, isn't it? I mean, I think about this. Like, some of you are going to find this really, really weird. But if you know me, you know kind of my morbid way of thinking. But, um, like, one of the most encouraging things to me in this, this entire story is that the God of heaven has the nerve to summarize four of the greatest global empires the world has ever known. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Spanning a good thousand years of human history. That he sums it up as a statue and a bowling ball. Isn't that comforting to you? I mean, it, it is to me. It's like, oh, that's, that's right. It's like, there, there's a... There's, a, there's an entire span of history going on around us, and we only see the smallest little... I mean, America, we've been around like not even 250 years. Rome was twice that. Like, at this point, we're a footnote. Like, we're, we're, we're like this small little blip on the screen. And no, we're, we're not done. We're not thrown in the towel, of course not. But as Daniel said, God removes kings and sets up kings. God does it. Don't overestimate the amount of power you have next month. Don't, or, or the power of the right, or the power of the left, or the power of the media, or the power of whoever we want to blame after it happens. And no matter who gets elected, we're all going to be blaming somebody, right? Who, who should we blame? Like, God decides who rules. God establishes presidents, and he takes them away. And if he can use... Nebuchadnezzar, God help us. It's going to be okay. God's not done. 
statue and a bowling ball. Maybe that's weird to you, but that gives me so much hope, knowing that the God of heaven, and I even love that Daniel keeps using that phrase to describe God over and over, the God of heaven, the God of heaven, not the gods of Babylon, not the gods of, of America, or the gods of whatever cultural ex- expression or what we think we can make us safe or, or give us happiness or all, all these like little gods that we run. No, it's the God of heaven. Only he can do this. History is moving in the direction he wants. So is your life and mine. So what's Daniel's response to all this? He prays. We've talked about that a little bit in this story, right? It's going to come out again and again, right? I mean, it's so important to him that he's willing to be thrown to lions to keep praying to God. And prayer always takes the long view. I mean, isn't it a remarkable thing that in this one story we see our God managing empires as well as the very details of Daniel's life and that we get to pray to him that he, he invites us into this relationship and that we, we can actually communicate with him. As we said the first week, if you don't pray, it's because you, you think you're still in control. Your trust is short-sighted and you think that this is your home. Daniel prays to the king of heaven. But do you ever wonder if Daniel was disappointed? I do. Man, I definitely do. Like, remember, Daniel dies in exile, right? We've said that. But even just... Like I just I picture Daniel writing this, right? Writing his memoirs at the end of his life, this book. Writing it all down. I just wonder, like, did he think about leaving this story out? Like, should I include it? Man, I don't know. Because it, it hadn't happened yet. Right? He's been there at this at that point, like almost 70 years. Is he, is he did, did he wonder if it was actually ever gonna happen or if it was worth just throwing throwing off? Was he disappointed in the progress? Sure, he saw the removal of the Babylonians, but the Medes and the Persians were just as bad, and the Greeks and Romans were still centuries off. And the stone that he saw, Daniel only dreamed of the stone. The rock that's indestructible, the, the kingdom growing into a massive mountain for Daniel, it was just a, a distant dream viewed through a very, very foggy window. But you and I have seen the rock. We've gotten a, a glimpse of this stone. For he, he did come born into the Roman Empire, a baby under, under Caesar Augustus. That guy thought he was something, right? Powerful. But Jesus came humble and low, for he, he is the rock and his is the kingdom. And, and we, you and I, God's people, we are, we are that mountain growing slowly but steadily, for, for Jesus said that not, not even the gates of hell can prevail against it. And even, even though the, the Romans clearly had the power to crucify him and they did kill him, they couldn't destroy the rock. For he died for our forgiveness and he rose again for our life. The beginning of his kingdom and our entry point, not simply as slaves or as subjects, but as sons and daughters. That this, this kingdom that Daniel got a glimpse of, that it, it can be ours, that we can be welcomed in as families, that this is the one in which we put our hope. This is the one in which all of human history is building towards. And it's not that the others are, are unimportant or that we shouldn't be engaged. It's, it's that we have this bigger picture of a God who's coming, a king that will never end, a kingdom that will last forever, one that will actually satisfy and fulfill us, that'll keep us safe and whole. Yes, it is a scary world. But what do we have to fear, people of God? The stone will return. The statue will turn to dust. And all who are homesick will be welcomed home. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, I pray that together we would long for the kingdom that is coming. God, that you would, you would help us, even through Daniel, even through your word, to just have the this, this smallest glimpse of this, this weird statue and this unbelievable stone. And God, I, I pray that we would believe that, that that stone is you, Lord Jesus, that you have come, and that you are in process of establishing a kingdom that will never end. So God, I, I pray that that would be where our hope is, where our confidence, our courage, our home while at the same time, God, help us to know how to be good citizens here. God, how to seek truly the good of our neighbors and the people around us to work hard and to, to be engaged in all of the confusing and difficult things that we see. God, let us have a voice in a world that is, that is growing seemingly darker and darker. God, I pray that our light would shine. And even, even as Daniel said, not because... He was so great or so smart, and it's certainly not because we're so great or so smart, but simply because you choose to work through your people. Let us be those people.